And today we're reading Psalm 7, which can be found on page 545. that's Psalm 7, uh, page 545. A Shigayan of David, which he sang to the Lord, concerning Cush, a Benjaminite. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to, your, to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure, you, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Thanks very much, Amy. How would you respond if you were falsely accused or if you found out that people were talking behind your back? Um, Let's say that you've been working hard all week and then you find out that someone has done just that. Someone else in the office is spreading rumours that uh, you're a really lazy worker or that you've been putting your hand in the till. How do you respond? What are you going to say? How are you going to feel in that situation? This story is going to sound more dramatic than it was, but while I was assistant pastor at my previous church, I was also studying. And on my final dissertation, I worked as hard as I've ever worked in my life. In the weeks that followed after submitting it, just about on time, every morning would start with a really anxious click on my email inbox. Has the marking come in yet? Would it be today that I find out if uh, I've passed or not? Why was the marking taking longer than usual? Then one day, finally, the results arrived. I clicked on my inbox, saw the email, and my heart sank into my stomach. I opened it, and the whole essay was highlighted and scribbled over, evidence after evidence gathered, all to prove that I had copied someone else's essay. 
I was accused of plagiarism. And it felt horrible. Now, of course, I appealed to the university and I was found innocent, obviously. Um, But for almost a year, I had this accusation hanging over me. And people in church would ask how my studies were going. And I'd have to tell them, I've been accused of academic malpractice. Horrible. How should we respond when we are falsely accused? Often what we do is we get defensive. We try to grasp back control of the narrative. We shout out our own version of events as loudly as possible, desperate to vindicate ourselves. But sadly, when people do that, often they look more guilty, not less. Our other way of responding is by going on the attack. We will um, uh, kind of criticise and judge our accuser, spreading our ugly, ugly verdict on their character in return. But again, this doesn't always help. Actually, that tends to escalate the situation. So when falsely accused, instead of getting defensive or going on the attack, Psalm 7 gives us a song for the slandered. This is how to respond when falsely accused. And let's use this to shape our prayers if we're ever in that situation. Here's the summary. Lord my God, I pray for justice. Lord my God, I praise you for righteousness. Let's start with that first one. Um, The title in our Bible, um, thanks for reading that by the way, Amy, because it's just as much part of the Bible as the rest of it. Uh, It says, a Shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjaminite. Although other people translate it as, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. I'm going to try and say Benjaminite as few times as possible, because however many times I've practiced it, I've just not been able to say it. This is the only time in the Bible where this Cush is mentioned, so we can't tell the exact occasion or event that caused David to write this psalm. But we know that David had a lot of trouble from Benjaminites. King Saul was from that tribe, and King uh, King Saul knew that David had been anointed by the Lord as his replacement, so he frequently tried to kill him. Spears were thrown, assassins were hired, and armies marched. So many people make the reasonable guess, I think, that Cush, being from the same tribe, was someone who was on Saul's side. And it sounds like Cush was falsely accusing David, possibly spreading rumors about him. Even if we didn't have that alternate title concerning the words of Cush, we'd still have verse 3. Um, In verse 3, David prays, if I have done this, there's no specific description of the this in the psalm. Um, So it's probable that this refers to what Cush was saying about him. David is being falsely accused. But he doesn't respond by getting defensive or going on the attack against Cush. Instead, if you look at verses 1 to 9, he says... Lord my God, I pray for justice. That's our first title. The prayer starts in verses 1 to 2, where David takes refuge in the Lord his God. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. 
David feels like he's being hunted, stalked by vicious lions. He's looking over his shoulder. When will they pounce next? He's constantly on edge because of the threat that at any moment they could rip him and his reputation to shreds. He can almost feel the claws in his back already. But he finds refuge in the Lord his God. That's a very personal way of referring to God. The Lord my God. The Lord is in capitals in your Bible because it refers to the personal name of God, Yahweh. And that name speaks of his covenant commitment to his people. And David says, my God, not just a distant, vague deity, but personal relationship. When falsely accused and threatened, David runs straight to the Lord, his God, and cries, save me and deliver me. We sometimes cope with our suffering with escapism. And that's not necessarily bad. God knows that there are times where we need to escape to a place of refuge. The problem is just that we escape to the wrong place. We find the wrong refuge. When we're struggling, we run to entertainment or comfort eating or alcohol. And those are just flimsy shacks that offer no protection against ravenous, vicious lions. But if you're following Jesus, you have a secure hiding place, a secure refuge when everything gets too much. With Jesus as saviour, you as well can run to the Lord your God. In Christ, he is deeply committed to your good. And that's real relief and real protection. Whatever lions may be hunting you, the Lord your God is a safe place of refuge. Next, verses 3 to 5. David prays for justice upon himself. Remember that when we're falsely accused, we're really quick to get defensive. Um, We try to justify ourselves. We're really quick to place ourselves in the role of judge in our own trial. We put the wig on, we hold the gavel. And we give the verdict, completely innocent. Of course I am. But David's prayer sounds different, doesn't it? Verse 3 to 5. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. David doesn't think he's guilty of what Cush is accusing him of. As far as he can tell, he's innocent. Uh, He hasn't repaid his ally with evil, and he hasn't robbed his foe without cause. King Saul kind of fits the category of both ally and foe for David. But even when uh, David's king was out for his blood, David still refused to harm him. There was one occasion where King Saul went out with 3,000 men to find and kill David. And Saul took a loo break in a cave. But he didn't realize that just meters away in the darkness, David and his men were hiding. What an opportunity for David to take Saul out of the picture. But even in that vulnerable moment, David refused to harm him. So as far as we can tell, David is innocent here. But he still asks God to show him if there's any guilt on his hands. And if he's guilty, if he's guilty, he says, let those vicious lions 
catch up to me. You and I would do well to follow David's example. Even when we think we're innocent, let's value God's verdict above our own verdict. It's better to be open to the possibility that we have sinned too, even when others are clearly in the wrong. Now we come to verses 6 to 9 where David prays for justice again, but this time it's for his enemies. Remember that we're so quick to go on the attack and dish out our own uh, verbal vigilante justice when we've been falsely accused. But David leaves judgment in God's hands. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather round you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. David knows that his enemies aren't the judge, so he is not crushed by their accusations. David also knows that he is not the judge, so he doesn't arise in his own anger. Instead, he passes on the case to a higher court of, the law, a court of law. He takes the wig off his own head, gives it to God. He takes the gavel out of his own hand, gives it to God. He recognises that God Almighty is the one who sits on the throne of judgment, not his enemies and not him either. So as he says, let the Lord judge the peoples. There are many obvious benefits for leaving judgment in God's hands. It means we don't lose so much sleep worrying about what other people think of us. It means we don't make the situation worse by retaliating It means we're free to forgive because we recognize that judgment is above our pay grade. But the main reason in this psalm to pray for the Lord to judge is at the end of verse 9. David says, David prays to you, the righteous God who probes hearts and minds. When you or I take judgment into our own hands, we just don't have all the facts Okay, you might be angry because someone is spreading rumours about you, but do you know the tone of voice that they said it in? Do you know the wider context of the conversation? Do you know what was going on in their family life that day? You certainly don't know their minds and hearts. But God does. So far better to pray for his justice. And equally, when Cush was accusing David... Or when others accuse us, they don't know our hearts and minds either. They don't have all the effects. Um, They don't know our intentions. So we shouldn't give too much weight to their opinion of us. What matters is God's verdict, not theirs. So look at verse 8. You don't need to prove to everyone that you're in the right. Pray for God to vindicate you instead. And look at verse 9. You don't need to bring an end to the violence of the wicked. Pray that and trust that God will for you. Whatever you are falsely accused of, pray with David. Lord my God, I pray for justice. Now, here's the second way that this psalm will shape our prayers. Lord my God, I praise you for righteousness. In uh, 
verses 10 to 17. Um, and actually, from verse 10 onwards, there are no more prayer requests. Do you notice that? So far, he's been asking for justice, but now he celebrates what is true about God and his righteousness. He's laying down truth after truth, all building towards the high point in verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Because of his righteousness? I thought we were talking about justice. But the two are tightly linked and both flow through this psalm. God's justice is an outflow, a consequence of his righteousness. His judgment is worthy of our praise precisely because he always does what is right. So verse 9 ended, um, the righteous God who probes hearts and minds. And verse 11, God is a righteous judge. David thinks God's righteousness is worth singing about for two reasons. Here's the first reason to sing praises this week. God's righteousness means salvation for the upright. Verse 10, do you see what David sings there? My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. Say that again. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. Who does he save? Who are the upright in heart? In the Old Testament, the heart is the center of emotion and it's the center of decision-making. And the people that God saves are people who have an upright, righteous heart. When the righteous God probes their hearts, he says, these people are righteous, just like me. And notice that David thinks he's among this group. He is shielded and the upright are saved. Those are parallel phrases, and David thinks he's included in both of them. It's built on the same idea. Also, earlier in the psalm, he prayed that the Lord would vindicate him according to his, David's, righteousness. But we know that David didn't live a perfect life. And David knew that he didn't live a perfect life. He slept with another man's wife and had that man killed to cover his tracks. So the upright in heart can't be those who are perfect. Rather, the upright in heart are those who are trusting in the covenant commitment of the Lord. In this Old Testament context, that meant believing God's promises, seeking to obey God's law, and trusting in the sacrificial system when people failed. That's what meant people were upright in heart. It's because David trusted in the Lord that he is part of this group. God probed his heart and declared in his grace, he is righteous like me. Here is a man after my own heart. If God only saved perfect people, we would have no reason to sing whatsoever. When the righteous God probes your heart, what does he see? He looks at the center of your emotion and he sees longings that are a million miles away from godly. What are those for you? He looks at the center of your decision-making 
and he sees countless mistakes and regrets piled up high over years. What are they for you? None of that is hidden from him. We've got, um, we've got days of financial hardship ahead of us in this country. Most of us are worried about how tough things are going to get next year. Many of us are already feeling that impact. And some people are going to have to make terrible choices about whether to heat their homes or feed their kids. Um, by the way, if that's you, do say, um, because there might be ways that we can help. But can you imagine being in a position like that? Can you imagine being someone who is just pressed down by a debt that is growing every single day, no matter how hard you try to pay it off? Well, imagine no more. Because our unrighteous hearts owe a terrible, growing debt to our God. It's a debt that we can never hope to repay. But by taking our unrighteousness on the cross, Jesus has cleared every single debt of those who trust in him. No more fear, no more judgment, all debts paid. And more than that, he has emptied his bank account into ours. Yes, the cross is the place where Jesus takes our unrighteousness. But remember too, the cross is the place where he gives us his righteousness as well. Every right longing of his heart, that's ours now. Every right decision he ever made, that is ours now too. We are rich beyond measure. All his righteousness is ours. Wherever you have failed, if you trust in Jesus, you, you are upright in heart. When God looks, really listen to this. When God looks at a Christian's heart, he says, he is righteous like me. She is righteous like me. Here is a man, here is a woman after my own heart. A Christian is covered in Christ's righteousness. So God will do what is right and he will save you. God's righteousness means salvation. So sing praises. And the second reason to sing praises, God's righteousness means judgment for our accusers. Look at the fate of David's accusers in verses 11 to 16. Remember, they were like lions hunting him down. They were ready to rip him and his reputation to shreds, but now the hunters have become the hunted. The righteous judge has sharpened his sword, ready to strike. He has drawn back his bow, ready to fire. He hunts down David's accusers with deadly weapons and flaming arrows, and they literally do not stand a chance. David is rescued. And on top of that, those same accusers are going to reap the just consequences of their own actions. Um, That's uh, from 14 to 16. Their evil plans will soon mean trouble and uh, disillusionment for themselves. They will soon fall into the trap that they have laid for others. Their violence will fall on their own heads. We might say those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So sometimes in the Bible, God's judgment is described as his direct action. But often in places like this, God's judgment is, is just 
handing people over, letting people go to the natural result of exactly what they are doing. And that's the fate of the accusers here. David knows that one way or another, God's righteousness means judgment for his accusers. But Andrew, I don't have any accusers. Oh yes, you do. Oh yes, you do. You have a great enemy who has planned nothing but trouble and evil and violence for you. Do you know what accuser uh, in Hebrew means in English? Satan. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he would love to get his claws into you. He knows your heart so, so well. He can work out what your ungodly longings are. He hasn't ignored any of your mistakes and regrets, and he jumps at every unrighteous opportunity. Look, God, look at what that Christian has done. They repented of their sin last week, and they're at it once again. That is a sinner that is mine, not yours. But God's righteousness means judgment for our accuser. His evil trouble and violence will soon fall on his own head. The hunter has become the hunted. King Jesus has risen from the grave. He has paid all our debts, so the accuser has nothing left to say. A few verses from Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. For those who are covered in Christ's righteousness, our accuser is no one. There is now, in this moment, not in the future, not on your good days, now, there is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Satan is a defeated foe heading for final judgment. There is no condemnation for you. So praise God for his righteousness. And I mean that literally. I mean that literally this week. It'd be great if we actually started our days by saying um, a line from this psalm in praise of God's righteousness. Maybe you want to just repeat verse 17 uh, every morning this week. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord's mo- Lord Most High. Psalms, they're here to equip us to worship, and that would be a wonderful way of doing that this week. May this psalm shape our prayers. Lord my God, I pray for justice. Lord my God, I praise you for righteousness. And just one question to leave you with. Are you on the right side of God's justice? Does his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, mean your salvation? Or does it mean your judgment? Let's pray. Lord, my God, we pray for your justice. Save us and deliver us. 
where we are accused, show us if we have guilt on our hands and help us to repent of that guilt. Lord, please vindicate us. Show us that we are in the right. And Lord, we thank you and praise you so much for your righteousness. Thank you for your righteousness given to guilty people like us. Thank you that when you probe our hearts, you say, here is a man, here is a woman after my own heart. Here is someone who is righteous like me because of Jesus. Thank you that our accuser has nothing left to say. Thank you that there is no condemnation. And I pray that every single one of us would be able to say that that is true for them. In Jesus' name, amen.